0: Hello, and welcome to Cognition. I'm your host, Rolf Nelson.
1: And I'm Joe Hardy.
0: And on this episode, we're going to talk about uh, recent work in neuroprostheses for, uh for decoding information from paralyzed individuals um, so that they can communicate uh, using a neural network. Uh, the article that we're going to be talking about is called a High-Performance Neuroprosthesis for Speech Decoding and Avatar Control. And this just came out in Nature in uh, on August 23rd. Uh, authors are Sean Metzger, Kalo Littlejohn, a whole bunch of other authors, and then the, the final author is Edward Chang.
1: Yeah, I feel bad for sometimes for people who are yeah. the fourth author because they are, I guess, apparently uh, several of these people contributed equally according to this and so but forever it will always be Metzger et al so there you go life life isn't always fair
0: (laughs) (laughs) so okay so this is a cool study and the basics so the basics of this are that they recorded they used um, brain recording and um, allowed a, a person who has been paralyzed in, I believe, in locked-in syndrome for the past 18 years or so to be able to communicate and um, use an avatar to um, to um, uh, speak words and uh, generate facial expressions.
1: Yeah. I mean, but was this person, like, locked in? Would you describe it as locked in? I don't know that that's, that's really what we're you dealing know, with here.
0: They were... Uh, I don't know. I mean, she's I,
1: she's paralyzed. She's quadriplegic and she, she lost the ability to speak or articulate speech in a way that was comprehensible. But she was still able to communicate. Uh she was using something that like one of those head-based I think tools. it was I,
0: I think it was this is a Stephen Hawking level um communication thing. Yeah. That she could and what from what I heard is that the the device that she had been previously using uh gave an English accent, so for her for most of the time that she was paralyzed, people thought she had a British accent, although that was incorrect.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so so yeah, so she's she's paralyzed, she she's not able to speak. She but- had I
0: think it was a brain stem injury, so uh like a a stroke that a stroke, did yeah. some damage to the brainstem, which which uh was pretty pervasive um life threatening obviously something that could could normally be um quite deadly um but she was mostly paralyzed
1: right exactly and so you know she had this uh array of electrodes implanted into her brain partially with the goal at least of uh you know seeing if they could help her communicate more effectively was there another reason to have that implanted or was that the only reason do you know
0: now, I know in some patients they'll implant electrodes because the, they might be looking to find the locus of uh, a seizure activity or something like that. But yeah, I don't and sometimes I think there'll
1: be deep brain stimulation as well.
0: I think this is purely just for um, recording for communication for this yeah. kind of study.
1: Yeah. So, but it was a pretty, you know, it's like a sort of a flat uh, sheet of electrodes that were late. They were essentially they laid it over part of her cortex which this part of the cortex was the um, uh in- included the motor cortex so the part of the the brain that you know is associated with moving different parts of your body so
0: um, i think uh 253 channels that's how many uh that's uh, how much it can resolve and yeah like you said over the motor cortex and there's specific- somewhat
1: posterior to that and and also uh temporal as well
0: okay and they're specifically trying to get at the the regions that would activate if she were if she were speaking uh facial muscles and things like that
1: yeah exactly so they took an approach where the idea of so the the goal is to help her communicate more effectively because she has this device that allows her to communicate but it's slow and so it's you know it, it's not very um, high resolution um, and in order to help her communicate more effectively, they wanted to see if they could decode her intention to speak. So the idea that their, the brain activity in the motor cortex would be the same as if she had the ability to move those muscles to create articulatory speech. But she's not able to because there's a disruption in, the, in those uh, neural networks. So, But she can still have the thought she can try to move her she can try to, move. to speak exactly and so they took the approach in this in the particular paper and there's many different ways to approach this but this you know uh, in this particular study they took the approach of trying to utilize that articulation intention and decode the neural activity associated with the attempt to speak and then correlate that with different things that she was trying to say and then using artificial intelligence, create a model that then anytime she tries to say something different, it can identify what she's trying to say.
0: Right. So they're simultaneously getting um, articulatory positions or where the, where the parts of the mouth and tongue are moving as well as um, phonemes for meaning.
1: Right, exactly. So they're they're trying to decode into. There's different ways to approach this. Like, right, like one level of abstraction would be just try to look at the entirety of the brain and see, like, what if you could decode what happens when someone tries to say a word or a sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not effective currently. In the current level of technology, we're not able to do that. Like, that's not possible consistently. Uh, but what they were what they found was that actually, if you start to try to pick out the specific fine movements associated with producing a certain phoneme, like a sound, like a particular kind of sound, you can actually essentially recreate those phonemes and predict words based on what the prediction of the phonemes is. Um, they were also able to do it through a, a, a like a lower level, kind of more fine grained approach to actually trying to more closely deconstruct how the actual mouth would be moving and what sounds that would create, which was slightly less, less effective.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting. So um, presumably what she is experiencing when she's doing this is, I mean, you, you probably have to think very clearly what it is you're trying to say instead of, so it's, it's less of sort of a vague thought that may be passing through her head as you know, a, Something you're really trying to articulate and trying to actually say,
1: right? And so she's actually trying to move her mouth in that way. And so, so you know, it it relies on the fact that she had previously had the ability to speak. So well, this
0: is it's interesting too because her stroke was uh, something like 18 years before they put this implant in. So that means she'd been unable to m- move those muscles since you know for 18 years, but they're still Mapped onto something in the motor cortex that uh, can be decoded. So I think that's pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah. Now that is it's really interesting uh, aspect to that. Um, but yeah, exactly. It depends on the fact that she already had that ability in the past and it was it was preserved mm-hmm. through the stroke and through the passage of time. But yeah, I guess the, the the advance here. Oh, this this kind of thing has been done in the past, both with you know electrodes that would be placed. You know, as I said on you know, EEG, like on, on, the outside of the brain, much less yeah. effective. Yeah. And then Just also less, re-
0: less resolution, right? Much less
1: resolution. And then also in other patients who have had electrodes implanted in their brains for different reasons. As mm-hmm. I mentioned, this deep brain stimulation is one, um, you know, other aspects, uh, you know, trying to find the parts of the brain that are involved in, uh, epilepsy, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so the, the, this has been done before to help people recover some abilities in terms of communication but the idea of the advance here is that it's more uh higher vocabulary and more accurate than previous and faster sort of like you know in terms of real time this is like relatively accurate and relatively large vocabulary compared to what other folks have seen in the past
0: so this is putting out i think what is about about 80 words a minute as opposed right. to earlier models that were a lot slower and really sort of plodding through something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and they can they know how accurate it is. This is this question of like how do you know how accurate it is cuz you don't know what that person was trying to say. Mm-hmm. But they experimentally the way they get around that is they basically have her they give her sentences that she's then tries to speak. And that's they train the model on those sentences and then the model tries to predict which sentence of those that she's trying to or word that she's trying to read or say, and uh, so that's basically how they know what she's trying to say.
0: And that's what it. What what's the accuracy here?
1: It was kind of in the, this range of like seventy five to eighty percent, depending on the metrics. Yeah, a, a whole range of different you know conditions that they tested that range from like you know fairly low accuracy of fifty percent up to like closer to ninety, depending on the conditions. But you know that average seemed to me like kind of in that seventy five percent range, where you know, you produce ultimately some statements, you know, in, in sort of um, in the wild, if you will, that mm-hmm. might be difficult to predict, might be difficult to interpret. But you also do do a, a decent amount of communication with that as well. It seems like she was able to actually communicate quite a bit.
0: Um, well, certainly more than nothing, right? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, because she's not producing any other sort of communication besides, you know, what's what's Coming out of that um, motor cortex,
1: right? Uh, yeah. Well, she had that thing, you know, where she could kind of, you know, use her f- head at some point to like select different uh, letters, but that's like very, very slow.
0: So I guess the question, one of the questions here is: Is this seventy-five percent? Is that um, is that you know pretty good? And you know, honing in on you know ninety or a hundred percent, where this stuff is going to be great, or is that where the last little bit of this is going to be really difficult and, and um, sort of intractable where most of this is getting that last little bit of it.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it's a good question. I I guess the first question is like, how usable is it at 75%? Mm, Yeah. You know, and, and partly that's going to be a bit of a user interface question. Like is this rig something that she can use on a daily basis? I, I don't know. The, they they gave some uh, illustrative text decoding examples from one of the sets so the targets like for example in one one case the target sentence that she was trying to read was you should have let me do the talking and the decoded sentence like what the computer outputted was you should have let me do the talking perfectly exactly accurate mm-hmm. you know and then in the middle you know something like why would they come to me why would and it was decoded as, why would they have to be? It, it doesn't actually. You, you're not getting the meaning of the sentence out of that.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Even though yeah.
1: the error rate is only 33 percent, it's 67 percent accurate. Two thirds accurate.
0: But it's totally it, not what's it's being. It's not tried. comprehensible. Yeah. 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 It,
1: it, when you get down to like error rates of 75 percent, you know, how is your cold is translated as you're old.
0: Which is not anything. It's not anything. Not at it's all. Zero percent. Zero percent of the information,
1: right there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So I, I guess it's it, it's cool, and it's very cool. and it's certainly an advance, but um, you know, one of the things that was interesting was they were able to differentiate for the electrodes where the information was coming from, in terms of the the you know the information that was being used by the algorithms to decode the speech. Mm -hmm. and they found that it was actually those areas of the motor cortex that would be associated with speech they were able to differentiate that between like for example motor movements attempted motor movements of the hand for example which where they were able to to actually detect from some of their electrodes but they they were able to, to you know find that actually it was the parts of the brain that you would expect to be involved in speech that were being decoded that that led to the performance. So that's a good this is a good opportunity to, to talk about the homunculus which I think
0: Yeah, sure.
1: We always should talk about the homunculus whenever there's an opportunity to talk about the homunculus.
0: So the motor cortex homunculus? Yeah. Or the sensory homunculus.
1: I think this is we're talking here I think about the motor motor homunculus. Right. Yeah. So do you, do you want do you want to break down the homunculus?
0: So the homunculus is just this representation on the on the motor cortex of different places in our body, uh, and it's represented with different sizes for different regions. Um, so yeah, it's areas- a
1: topographic mapping. It's not. It looks like a little guy. If you should, the shape of the like where the different parts of the body are represented, Conti- contiguous parts of the body are represented by contiguous parts of the motor cortex but it creates a weird shape and it's not like a doesn't well look for right the well.
0: sensory homunculus too, I'm thinking yeah so he has giant hands because you got lots of sensors on your hands and then a very small back because there's not really any sensors on the back
1: yeah big and lips then, and um, the motor yeah in the motor cortex you get a lot of representation for the parts of the mouth and jaw that are responsible for speech mm. the so mm-hmm. there, yeah so that's that's kind of part of this is like Speech is like highly over represented in the motor cortex. That's partly how this why this is effective, I think.
0: So um, what do we attribute some of the success to here? because I mean some of this is it just improved um, neural network modeling and language models, right?
1: Absolutely. yeah. I mean, so they're they're taking advantage of deep learning models. They're taking advantage of new uh, language models. There's also these sp- speech articulation models that have advanced. Those are those are were already kind of pretty well developed. Those have, have made less drastic gains recently, but um, the, certainly the neural network models, the deep learning models, have improved. And the speeds of the that you can do the training sets on. Is, mm. you know, we're talking about it's a matter of weeks now that they're able to train mm-hmm. these data sets up. Um, which is just a vast improvement. So it's coming into just practically useful. You know, it's, it's something that you could actually take advantage of with one individual. I mean, that's kind of one thing about this is that it's really particular to this individual.
0: Right, that's if right. If you
1: took the same al- algorithm out and put it in another person, it wouldn't work. It probably would give you 0% accuracy. Um, you would need to retrain the model, but the procedure mm-hmm. couldn't could work for, for another person.
0: Well, and actually it could even do better in another person too after training um, because presumably in, in most most other people, you're not gonna have um, this long-term paralysis. Right, right? so there's a I,
1: question of like, how, how effective could it be in someone who still had their intact speech?
0: That, right.
1: But then you might not probably get the opportunity to implant a big uh, electrode array or that is true. Motor cortex up there. Otherwise, that okay. is okay. Yeah.
0: So the other, so the 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 things that are limiting this from perfect performance are of um, some of the neural network models, but then the resolution of the signal that's coming in too. So getting the signal from the right place, hitting that motor cortex, um, and and getting good resolution there, and and just having an, enough resolution in general, I think is is always going to be something that you want because if you've got you know, 86 billion neurons firing in your brain and you're, you have this sort of low resolution um, impression of, you know, just a a really small percentage of those, uh, it's going to be hard to get, uh, so it's going to be hard to reconstruct what it is your brain was trying to do. So the higher resolution we get there, the better.
1: Absolutely. No, for sure. Yeah. And and I think that's, you know, this is where, um, you know, this is, you know, we talked about, you know, EEG, electroencephalography, where you have electrode arrays on the outside of the head, you know, on the on the actual sc- scalp uh, to the extent possible, you know, those are going to have much less fine-grained resolution because not only are they, you know, capturing, you know, a huge uh, proportion of the brain in terms of just the area that they're, each electrode is uh, capturing from, but also the strength of the signal is really weak because it has to pass through this electrical signal has to pass through the, the skull which is thick and doesn't mm-hmm. transmit electricity very well yeah um so you know that's where this like electrocorticography approach which is like laying the electrode array on top of the cortex underneath this you know the skull itself so you actually excise a piece of the skull place the electrode array and then sew this the skull back up that's a so- lot more effective because you can first of all you can get much you know, the, the, the strength of the signal is stronger because you just don't have to pass through the skull. Mm-hmm. It's also much closer. You can get a finer grain detail, but it's still, yeah, it's still each represent each, uh, uh, uh electrode is, you know, picking up signal from millions of neurons, right, right. uh, ultimately. So, you know, and certainly hundreds of thousands, you know, strongly represented in there for each electrode. So it's, you know, still quite limited in terms of its resolution but it's interesting I mean it, what's an interesting thought experiment is like for each of these types of devices you know depending on where the signal is coming from what is the sort of logical or yeah you know, what what is the mathematical um, limit of how much right you can how do much with them. can you
0: how much can you extract out of it and we did have one of our earlier episodes was, uh, with Adrian Nestor on EEG and, uh, extracting information like this too. So how much can you extract out of pure EEG off the surface of the skull? And, you know, how much can you extract from, um, you know, single cell recording, if you can get that?
1: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, it's, it's going to be very different. And so I mean, this is like you know the Elon Musk stuff, where he's mm, yeah. the Neuralink yeah, Neuro, stuff. He's, Neuralink. He, yeah, he's really interested in you know implanting uh, electrode arrays into people's skulls. Um,
0: high yeah. resolution, super high resolution, but yet you still don't want to destroy the brain that you're recording from, too. So yeah, there's a lot right. of tricky. There's a lot of tricky things involved.
1: It's a lot of, yeah, it's it's a high risk business in terms of getting your skull operated on, uh, mm-hmm. your brain operated on um and and right now the the value for the average consumer is probably not there
0: yeah that's probably right
1: (laughs) but i mean it's an interesting thing i mean like would it be cool to like you know control all of your electronics using just your thoughts would it be cool to like be able to like you know
0: well it sounds less cool i have to say if you have to articulate your thoughts into words right because then you might as well just say it right and then it's just like you're talking to alexa
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> At that point, it's like, all right, yeah. If I if I, if I still have to move my mouth, that, right? I mean, what a, what a drag!
0: It's exhausting. <laughs>
1: it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. So it's yeah. The, the value is, is substantially less. Yeah. So I think the you know it kind of speaks to also just like the thing with electro, you know, electrical recordings from the brain broadly, which is to make sense out of them, you need a lot of data about. The correlation between a particular, whether it be thought, you know, movement, etc., and the electrical signals themselves. So it all comes back to psychology because you have to. You know, the ground truth is always the person's intention. So you need to be able to uh, collect that person's intention. So the, I think you know the 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 way that a lot of these devices are represented in the media in terms of like the potential, but even like the reality of the existing you know they have these eeg devices that people use for like meditation and stuff like that mm-hmm. nowadays um, how well those are actually correlated with what you know they are said to be representing i think is you know is a topic of you know they let's just they're they're not very good right now i think is this kind of the, the because there's you know because of some of these fundamental limitations there, it's not that there's not enough compute out there to like make them good it's that there's you know the strength of the signal the um fidelity of the signal fine grain nature of the signal is is such that you know it's it's difficult to gather that information from an electrode on the surface of the skull especially and especially
0: like on yeah and especially if you're moving around in the actual world you're not in an isolated chamber you know immobile with you know 256 um electrodes on your skull
1: yeah yeah. So this. Yeah. So the, the, right now, the best brain-computer interfaces are still, you know, talking, typing.
0: Well, it's interesting. Okay. So would you want? Okay. So I mean, thinking about this idea between reading your thoughts versus reading your uh, sort of articulation from your, which your mouth is doing. Um. There, there is something strange about reading someone's thoughts when they haven't organized it into sort of a stream or a sentence or, or something that's kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, has yeah, some sort of linguistic form to it anyway. And that's what, so this paralyzed omen has, I mean, she's putting all of her could be somewhat stray thoughts into a, a more organized linguistic form. I think it'd be weird to have a, a thought reader that, you know, sort of read my thoughts where I didn't, I wasn't able to sort of know articulate them even just to myself in a way so they'd be a lot more random
1: yeah and i think it's it's also it's an interesting thought experiment from the perspective of what would the nature of that um, representation be like what what would how would you represent someone's thoughts when it was not explicitly them trying to speak because when it's
0: just a lot of things sort of floating through their head it may not represent their there,
1: it may not really come it may not be represented easily in words mm-hmm. or sentences, but then you know, it's interesting because I like we've talked about this before, but like I personally have like a very strong, like verbal inner monologue in the sense mm-hmm. of like, and you know, I talk to myself in my head all the time, yeah. And so, I've thought
0: about that, I'm not, I, I can't tell sometimes whether I'm doing that, but
1: it's, it's, I don't do it, it all sense. the time, but certainly yeah. there's times when I do do that, and that would make perfect sense to represent that as words, and like I mm-hmm. could imagine someday somehow running an experiment where you recorded from someone's brain and then they were able to then reproduce. I mean, I think you would have to ask them later what they were thinking, because if you're asking them what they were thinking now, they'd be talking or typing. Yeah. Break the kind of, right. 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 Like, how do you encode it in the first place? How do you create the, you know, the, the, the tags you'd have to, you probably have to think something and then stop. What right. were you thinking about?
0: And then you'd have to match it up.
1: And then you'd have to match it up. And then I guess one of the things that was really hard in this paper was getting the timing right. Mm. So just figuring out when she was meaning to be talking. Right. Because otherwise, you know, it's a, it's a substantially bigger problem because, you, you know, these n- neurons are not just like sitting there quiet. And then when someone starts to talk.
0: Right, It's all continuous.
1: It's a continuous flow of information, and so knowing when someone was trying to talk is a huge benefit uh to the for the model to like reduce the amount of information that needs to be processed and encoded, yeah, so I mean, I guess the other thing is like you know if it if you know if you're representing i because I think in in the movies, right, like the movie representation of this right is the thought reader like. Oh, you're in my head. You can read what I'm thinking, you know, mm. uh version. It would be, yeah, it would be interesting to think about what that would be like, what the representation of that would be like, you know, it, it, with a thought reader, like, sure. Sometimes you get a sentence, but maybe what you'd want is just like someone's general mood. Are they, you know, is there like activation level high? Is there activation level mm-hmm. low? You know, some other sense of feeling or, tone but something
0: that might be different than what their inner monologue is
1: that's right it might not map exactly to the words and i think that's what people imagine that these devices can do already to a certain extent which is Mm -hmm. i think a question i think that's we could we could explore i guess yeah to some extent it's possible to do some of that some of the time but under you know largely at this point under limited laboratory conditions
0: well i wonder i mean i wonder if um, some of this can improve over time with a single individual too. The more she uses this, the more she might identify with the thoughts that come out of it too.
1: Right, exactly. There, there. You could imagine a coupling where she figures mm-hmm. out the way to the way to attempt to articulate a certain mm-hmm. sound that the model can then represent.
0: Yeah, it's as though the errors like are co- just sort of mis- mismatches right now, but
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see if they they follow up with.
0: Well, this is cool stuff. I mean, they they keep coming out with new models of uh, of this every couple of years, and they are advancing quickly. Just like you know, all of the advances in neural networks in general, large uh, language models. Um, so it's exciting to see this stuff. And you know, this is an application where they're actually doing some good, and and there's some real potential for positive change here.
1: Absolutely, and you could totally imagine a, a you know eventually a model that. You know, uh, allowed, say, for example, like a paral- someone who's paralyzed in all four limbs, you know, a mech, like, you know, that they were able mm. to move and walk with just like as though they were naturally walking by the intention to walk. Like know?
0: Iron Man, like an Iron Man suit, Iron sort Man of? Iron Man
1: mech kind of thing. Exactly.
0: What about driving? Driving might be dangerous.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think, yeah, the thing with driving is it's we're already getting like, Humans are don't are, already don't need to drive because they just have the just have the right. computer drive. It's actually just better. why have a signal from a person yeah. in the right first exactly. This, yeah, the, the, at that point, the personal person's signal is not. We're not going to really even develop that technology because it won't be necessary or useful. Cool. Well, I think that's probably a decent place to wrap it up. Um, you know, quick little check in on this technology, something we've been tracking. Um, but uh, in terms of getting in touch with us. Uh, Cognationpodcast at gmail.com. I'm at JL Hardy PhD on Twitter. We're at NationCog on Twitter. We also just started a YouTube channel. We've got one video with actual visuals. We're talking about probably um, doing just a, a logo and then the the audio behind it because there's just too much work to make <laughs> we'll the We'll see what videos. feedback looks like. We'll see, yeah. see that. we'll see if anybody looks at that. But that's yeah. also uh, Cognation Podcast. That's the YouTube channel at Cognition Podcast on YouTube. So, uh, and you can find us on you know all the all the uh, podcast services. Rolf, do you want to give your uh, Twitter handle as well?
0: I I would love to. I I have forgotten it since I never use it, so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I can't do that. It's probably uh, well, if you, if you, well, you uh,
1: yeah, if you if you say something to me about uh, about Cognition, I'll make sure Rolf hears about it. Awesome.
0: All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Thanks.